But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. A few runefangs short of an empire. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. My name is Nathan Stone, and I will be your host today. It's good to be back after a somewhat forced hiatus last week. That was just due to some school deadlines that all came deadlining at once on me. But it is good to be back, and today we are going to talk about the maddest of mad elector counts. One Marius Leetdorf, the Mad Count of Averland. Marius is a really interesting character, and one of the few characters who dies during the Warhammer fantasy timeline before the end times. And his death actually came about a little bit earlier in the lore than I suspected. There's all sorts of neat little things about him and the way that he evolved over the years, so we're going to take a look at him from 4th to 8th edition. Before we do any of that, we need to check in with some hobby and some news, and I actually do have a little bit of hobby for you. I stole a couple of hours the other day, and I painted up a few little test space marines. I painted up a space wolf. Well, I had painted him beforehand, but I, I finished him off. I painted up a Crimson Fist and a Word Bearer. And the reason that I painted these random Space Marines wasn't just to paint them, although that's always kind of fun. It was because come this summer, I might be in a 3rd edition Warhammer 40k campaign. Something very casual, just a game or two a month, but based on the old City Fight supplement. And it's got me really excited. Third edition, it's not something I talk about a whole lot on this show because firstly it's 40k and I don't really do the 40k episodes anymore. It just seemed like the fan base that we built for this show is so vehemently Warhammer fantasy that those episodes never really did well to begin with. But third edition 40k is my first 40k. And I had played a couple of demo games of 2nd edition, but by the time I was ready to jump into 40k, the edition had switched, and it was 1998, and there was a new starter box that I got for Christmas with Space Marines and Dark Eldar. As far as starter boxes go, if you've listened to our old starter box breakdown episodes, that was a really fun episode where we ranked all of the starter boxes for Fantasy and 40k. Third edition hit the very bottom. It was not a very good starter box. It just wasn't very fair. The poor Dark Eldar. Oh boy. They uh, had a real points deficit in that one. And they had to glance and hit the land speeder that the Space Marines had to death. While it just mowed them down with its big heavy bolter. But for nine-year-old me... I wasn't super concerned about that. I thought it was a super cool starter box. It was also my first introduction to the Grimdark 40k. 
because this is the drastic left turn that 40k took from the bright and colorful era of second edition to the black and white, grim and gritty 40k of the 2000s. And it took that turn before fantasy did. And if I had thought about it at the time, I would have probably realized that fantasy was going to take this same path. But I was still relatively new to the hobby at the time. I didn't really know how the Games Workshop cycle worked. And being a kid, I didn't really care about release cycles or the idea of additions or anything like that. I didn't really know any of the history of the game. And and 40k 3rd edition, to me, will always kind of be my 40k. As much as I love 2nd edition, and I love 2nd edition, it's wild, it's wacky, it's fun, and everyone should play it. It feels like I'm going back and playing something from just a little bit before my time. But going back and playing 3rd edition with the little pamphlet codexes, oh boy, I am excited about it in a way I didn't think I would be. But something about it is really just speaking to me now, and I'm very excited to do it. I'm going to do Space Marines of some type, either Space Wolves or Crimson Fists. I haven't decided yet. But either way, it's going to be retro, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be silly. I really do miss 3rd edition with all of its variant lists. That's where the Croup Mercenary list came into play. There was all sorts of of fun little white dwarf lists at the time. The later you got into that edition, the crazier things got. There was vehicle design rules and monster design rules in white dwarf in the later part of the era. And then, of course, it all got streamlined in 4th edition, which was still a pretty good edition, but not... It lacked the heart, I'll say, of 3rd. 3rd was wild and crazy and fun. 4th was a little bit more drawn back in. It was probably a little bit more balanced. But if you're like me and you just kind of care about the fluff, it was a good edition to play. It was a very, very fun era of Warhammer 40k. And one of the longer lived editions as well, which is always nice. I, I feel like editions nowadays come and go too fast, but I feel the same way about life. So maybe it's not Games Workshop, maybe it's just me. <laughs> All of that is a very long-winded way of saying that I'm excited. And I am looking forward to the summer where I will be off school and able to play some games again. And I'll be able to tell you guys about those games when I inevitably lose those games. But I am going to have a blast doing it anyway. In the news side of things, we have our new March painting challenge up on the Warhammer Orchard Facebook page. This month is March Madness. Life is stressful for our miniatures. Sometimes you're on a crusade through the grim darkness of the far future. Other times you're just trying to avoid being eaten by beastmen in the woods. It's not surprising that some of them go a little crazy. And this month, we want to see minis who've gone mad. They can be stark raving or just really, really angry. The choice is yours. That is our theme for this month. If you haven't taken the plunge into our Super Serious Paint Challenge, it is a fun way to make yourself some memorable, silly, wonderful minis. You only paint one miniature with our challenge in the month, and you just, you make silly things, and they're wonderful. I have to give a shout out to our February entries. 
uh, GJ gave us a <laughs> zombie pirate who keeps losing his arms, so he's collected a whole sack of them. It's wonderful. His name's Johnny, and he's one of my my favorite little dioramas. He's kind of on a two-base kind of situation there, and uh, you see him and his his sack of arms, and it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful miniature. Uh, and I'm going to apologize before I even say this, because my pronunciation of names is terrible. But one of our patrons, Jorn Humboldt, and Jorn, I really hope I'm saying that right. Despite my half-Scandinavian ancestry, I really struggle with certain letters, <laughs> like J's. I'm never sure if it's a J or a Y. But Jorn has done up for us for February an incredible demon prince who's maybe on the smaller side and he's maybe a little bit touchy about it, but he is kind of that classic bloodthirster slash gargoyle from Hero Quest look. He's the, the dog-headed, winged demon with an axe and a whip. He fits very snugly, though, on a 25 millimeter base. So I'm wondering if maybe he was an epic miniature. But you and I should have asked you that. I know you're listening to this one. Also, if you haven't checked out our Super Series Paint Challenge, Yorn's models are far and away my favorite cinematic universe. He has set them all to a theme, and it's it's started in, I believe, November, our very first paint challenge with uh, Luann, and she now has an entire cinematic universe of characters around her. It's so cool to see. It's it's wonderful. And the last one I'm going to shout out for today is uh, Bruce Sigrist, and Bruce gave us two miniatures, and I know this this challenge is only for one miniature, but he gave us two because it's the same dwarf but that dwarf has fallen to chaos so there is a uh, dwarf named Lorax he was a librarian in Karazakrak and he is seen in two miniatures the first is his classic look where he is got kind of a dwarf runesmith look he's got a, a nice staff he's got a big book and then his fall. He he became obsessed with magic and power, and he turns into a fiery, mutated chaos dwarf with a big horn on his head, and one of his arms is kind of like molten, and he's holding a fireball, and his, his staff is, I think, got the symbol for Prince on it, like the artist formerly known as Prince. I'm not sure, but Bruce, if you're uh, listening to this one, uh... I didn't notice that until now that I'm looking at it again, but I'm pretty sure that is a symbol that Prince used, and I'd love to know how that came about <laughs> being on your Chaos Dwarf. But really what I want everyone who hasn't checked out our Super Serious Paint Challenge to know is that it is super fun. Pop over to the Warhammer Orchard Facebook page and join us and post the miniatures that you love. We're actually doing the vote right now for February's, which I kind of got out of the habit of doing. I just got busy, but we're back on track with that. So we're going to crown a February champion come this week. One last little bit of news. A couple of guys from the local orchard community 
have gotten together and created a little website to document Orchard Battle Reports. It's called Atlantic Tabletop Games, and it's AtlanticTabletopGames.com. You'll see pictures on there. A lot of these are Jesse's pictures. If you remember, uh, we had Jesse on, oh boy, I think it was the second episode we ever did of The Orchard. He is a great guy, super into the hobby, creates incredible dioramas, incredible terrain, the best terrain I've seen in person, the best tables I've ever played on. It's all Jesse's. He is uh, a bit of a, a wonder when it comes to it. You can see his pictures up there. They have some battle reports. And uh, hopefully, at some point, when I'm playing games again, I can be part of this and, and be featured on one of these little battle reports. They've also got a section for Hobby Workshop, news, all sorts of stuff. So check them out at AtlanticTabletopGames.com. And I am super excited to see what they do in the future. All right. Well, that was a lot of news, so let's head on to our main topic. Today is all about the Mad Count. None other than Marius Leapdwarf. Marius is a really fun character. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. He's fun. The Elector Counts are all characters in their own right, at least the ones that you see focus on. So him... Boris Toddbringer, those guys are important characters as far as the Empire is concerned and the Empire's lore is concerned, but they're also fun characters, right? And unlike Karl Franz, who is kind of the ideal statesman, a lot of the other characters of the Empire have major flaws, none more so than Marius Leitdorf, who is just mad. He is a little crazy. And that gets represented on the tabletop a number of ways throughout the eras. Eighth edition being the most crazy, I guess, that we find Marius Leitdorf. But let's start off with a little bit of lore. Marius Leitdorf, known most infamously as the Mad Count, was the late Elector Count of Averland counted as one of the bravest, albeit most insane, generals within the Empire's armed forces. Not many men can be said to have waged wars against forests, swarms of bees, and half-imagined fishmen. So it is not without good reason that Marius Leitdorf is known as the Mad Count. Most knew Marius for his eccentric and flamboyant nature, his bouts of screaming rage, his periods of melancholy, and his mercurial conduct at court. Indeed, it is common knowledge that he relied on the advice of his warhorse, Daisy Kurt von Helboring II, as much as any of his advisors. In fact, his outrageous behavior and roguish improprieties with the daughters and wives of the noble houses were such that few other counts welcomed him in their courts. One of Leitdorf's harshest critics was Kurt Helborg, who, according to the Mad Count himself, has a poor mustache, even worse dental hygiene, and a horrible sense of humor to rival a troll. On the last point, at least, Marius's judgment was correct. The enmity between the two of them had since become legendary. Leitdorf's reputation did him a disservice, for while he was clearly unconventional in his manners and flamboyant in his clothing, he had an incisive mind. Indeed, he was an accomplished poet and inventor. 
Furthermore, Leetdorf was an exceptional swordsman and military tactician, who led his armies at the front with considerable flair and skill. In fact, a number of great victories are owed to his insane courage and uncanny insights, and Karl Franz counted Leetdorf amongst his most trusted allies. Leetdorf has some <laughs> interesting bits and pieces of history. A lot of his history was filled in, not so much in Warhammer fantasy as it was Warhammer fantasy roleplay. And we see this is similar to Kislev, where Kislev often gets overlooked in the main section of Warhammer fantasy uh, because they spend a lot of time not having an army, and so Games Workshop doesn't write about them. But when you get into the much more deeper dives that happen in Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, that's when you start to see a lot more of this detail get filled in. So a lot of the information that I'm using today is from Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Now, depending on how you feel about the officiality of the lore in Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, you may disregard some of this, you may not, but I'm presenting it today because, well, it's interesting and it fills out the character in the way that the army books just don't. One of the interesting things about Marius that we learn in the expanded lore, Marius traveled to Altdorf in 2502 after the death of the former emperor Leopold I to vote for the next emperor. He was, in the first round of voting, the only person that voted for Karl Franz, uh, believing him to be destined for greatness. Even though at the time, Karl Franz didn't actually want to be emperor, he did not want the throne. And Boris Todbringer, in that first round, got eight votes, which was too shy of becoming emperor. So, they would hold a second round of voting. Now, Karl Franz ends up, around the same time, meeting with King Lewin of Bretonia. And they have a meeting where Lewin reveals that he has seen a vision that told him that Karl Franz needed to be emperor of the empire, otherwise humanity would fall. And that's a wild story in itself, they fight together against orcs that happen to show up uh, to raise the dramatic tension of the <laughs> situation and, and not much else. But it is a, a, an interesting story for sure. But what's interesting about this lore is that Marius plays a big role in getting Karl Franz elected as emperor. He actually intimidates the elector of the moot into voting for Karl uh, Franz. Another interesting tale of Marius has to be the Halfling Rebellion of 2502. Now, this is something we've actually mentioned on the show before, and it's when we were looking at the Halflings, doing the Halfling episode, and there was a Halfling steam tank. And canonically, this is when that was happening than when that was set. This is this weird little halfling contraption that, that shot boiling soup at the, at the enemies. And it all started with Marius Leetdorf 
trying to build a road through the moot. He was doing so that Averland's armies might meet up with Sterling's armies so that they could go and campaign against some goblins who were becoming a big problem. And they reached a agreement with the elders of the moot, which involved both gold and food, or as it is described here, roastable animals. So, be that whatever your imagination deems it. Things were going smoothly, except when they had to cross the river Stir. Leetdorf sent engineers to construct a modern stone bridge over the river Stir. And other than the rampant larceny of building materials and anything else that, that wasn't nailed down, the engineers made good progress. And it wasn't until the first pilings for the new bridge were sunk that the troubles began. Each morning, the stones that had been set in place the day before had mysteriously vanished. Setting guards didn't seem to work as they had a tendency to vanish too, only to turn up several days later bound and gagged in a ditch. Halflings are kind of creepy, to be honest. The way that Warhammer has them. They're these sneaky little gluttons, but they're surprisingly violent. Word of this gets back to Leetdorf and these delays, and he flies into a bit of rages, and he assembles his army uh, to, in his words, slaughter every one of the malodorous runts. And Leetdorf uh, leads his army across the southern border of the Moot, and, uh, of course, rightfully fearful of their lives, the Elders of the Moot send a huge force of halflings to stop them. And this becomes the Battle of Nearstream. And it's since passed into history as the army of Averland's most successful, though not its noblest, engagement. Once the Averlanders came into sight, the halflings arrayed before them began to panic and were mercilessly cut down as they scrambled for safety. And the Averlanders suffered few, if any, casualties. Now, after this, the elders of the moot went into hiding and desperately sent letters calling for aid from anybody who would listen. But Leetdorf had a problem too, as nearly three quarters of his army had abandoned him, utterly dismayed at his barbarity. The Elector Count at this point lost what little wits he had remaining and would go about stalking the misshrouded fields in the small hours, screaming challenges at trees and shrubs. He was unaware that a army was marching from Altdorf to bring him to account for his excesses. He directed his engineers to finish the bridge that had started the war. However, the fighting was not yet done. The halflings end up getting the attention of both Lumpen Croup and his fighting cocks, legends of the moot themselves, and the ogre tyrant Blot Feastmaster, who would come and start being a problem for just about everyone. This fluff was mostly written as an excuse for a scenario, but I love it so much that, to me anyway, it is canonically gold, and I, I love it. Not mentioned in any of the army books, to my knowledge. Now, speaking of army books, let's dive in and look at the beginnings of Marius Leetdorf. Now, he gets his start alongside countless other great Warhammer heroes in 4th edition. He doesn't get much of a section to himself. He's slotted in on a single page with uh, Valmir von Rakov, the Elector Count of Ostland, but he is a cool kind of cheapish general. 
He's 110 points plus 30 points if you want to give him his rune fang. Spoiler alert, give him his rune fang. It makes him so, so much better. His lore here is in a very early stage, so a lot of things aren't mentioned. But it's basically a simple version of the fluff that we read, so we're going to skip that here and move on to his profile. Now, Marius is an empire general, or I guess a human general in all respects here. Movement 4, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 5, strength 4, toughness 4, 3 wounds, initiative 4, 3 attacks, and leadership 9. I have a bit of a problem with that, because in his lore here, what little we get, we get about two paragraphs of lore. It does mention his skills as a swordsman, and that his swordsmanship is unequaled except perhaps by the Reichsbeischel Kurt Helberg. I feel like we could have gotten a point or two weapon skill out of that lore. <laughs> I just think it should be a little bit better than your bog standard Empire General, but a lot of special characters in 4th edition were just, here's this general with this item, and they're special because we say so. And Marius is one of those. You can actually just build Marius Leetdorf if you want, because he doesn't have anything that is super unique about him, except for one thing. So uh, he is clad in a suit of heavy armor and rides an armored warhorse. This is before Daisy had a name. He is armed with one of the ancient rune fangs made by Alaric the Mad for Sigmar, and with a long dagger. This gives him an additional plus one attack in close combat. So that was nice. So he has four attacks in close combat. His rune fang is pretty decent. It's actually going to get better, though, in 6th edition. Right now, in 4th, a rune fang rolls to hit and wound as normal, but any wounds inflicted cannot be saved against even by magic armor and undead struck and wounded by Runefang suffer two wounds. So a really good magic item. It's a bit of a shame that you have to use it with that strength of four, but it's nice to know that whatever wounds you do are going through. I remember Leetdorf here, okay, yeah, he's not the greatest. He has a four-plus armor save. He has no other defensive items. He can't take any other magic items. But, but... He does have one thing going for him, and that is Frenzy. And this is the good Frenzy. This is the good stuff you want. This doubles his attacks, so he goes from 3 to 6, and then plus 1 for his paired weapons. So 7 attacks with that Rune Fang. He can do some damage. For 140 points, he can do a fair amount of damage. I think if you're playing a fluffy list, you could do a lot worse than Marius. But that is the sum total of our mad count in 4th edition. We're going to skip over 5th edition because, unfortunately, we all know that the Empire did not get a 5th edition update. Only the cheaty, cheaty high elves. Oh, and I guess chaos as well. So, okay, a few, place, a few things got 5th edition updates, but still. I mostly remember the high elves. In 6th edition, things get a little bit interesting because Marius is not in the book. And that's unfortunate, but not surprising. 6th edition books had no room for special characters. They thought special characters were stupid and they hated them and they weren't going to include them, except for a couple. Marius Leetdorf 
shows up in White Dwarf number 314 in 6th edition. Now, Marius gets a couple big downgrades here, unfortunately, and one upgrade. Firstly, he's 280 points now, which is wildly expensive. But the Rune Fangs of 6th edition are awesome, but also they're 100 points. So you start to see his cost actually when we compare it to an Empire General isn't going to be too bad. First up, though, his stats are exactly the same as Hero Hammer. He is a human general. That is, that is what you get. You get the movement 4, the weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 5, strength 4, tough 4, 3 wounds, initiative 5, 3 attacks, and a leadership of 9. His Warhorse still doesn't have its name as of 6th edition, but this is the first edition and the earliest mention that I could find of Leetdorf's death. Now, Leetdorf was a character that I kind of forgot had died. Because he's a little bit of a minor character compared to most others, it can kind of fall through the cracks of your memory, and that's what it did for me. So he was actually slain at the hands of orc warlord Vorgaz Ironjaw during the third battle of ba- Blackfire Pass. Blackfire Pass you may recognize as a lore location of some importance. That is where Sigmar and the dwarves drove the orcs out of the land that would be the Empire and into the mountains, and and really broke the back of the orcs for some time. It's also where Sigmar kind of forged his eternal friendship with the dwarves, and they started giving him all sorts of nice stuff. So this is the third battle of that, and this is an orc horde that is comparable, at least, to the orc horde that Sigmar fought, so no joke. And Averland was going to kind of bear the brunt of this orc invasion, it looked like. And so the army of Averland met the orcs first in battle. And then reinforcements, including the army of Altdorf, Karl Franz, and all of his entourage, show up and kind of carry the day. Unfortunately, Marius Leitdorf and his bodyguard of greatswords, they kind of got stuck in the middle of a horde of orcs and goblins, and Carl uh, Franz just can't get to him in time. Marius does, however, wound the orc warlord, and Carl Franz finishes him off. And then there's a little bit of convenient <laughs> remembering that goes on in the Empire afterwards, and he's kind of remembered as this great, gallant hero of the Empire uh, in death. Whereas in life, everyone just thought he was an absolute madman. So back to his profile here. He keeps all of the things that you would assume that he does. He's still on his barded warhorse. He's got full plate armor now instead of heavy armor. So that's an upgrade. So that gives him a four up save, three up with the barded warhorse, which is at least respectable. You'd still preferably want a ward save on your general, but, you know, he's crazy. What are you going to do? He's got some special rules. He's got the Magic Banner special rule, and if you're not familiar with that, that's from 6th edition, the Empire book. It basically meant that if he was your general, or if any elector count was your general, you could give a unit of state troops, so spearmen, swordsmen, halberdiers, a Magic Banner worth up to 50 points. So kind of a cool thing. And he has Frenzy, 
Now, Frenzy is down to its kind of lamest incarnation where it's only one attack. So he's got four attacks plus one extra attack from his dagger. Unfortunately, in this edition, though, you had to make that attack with the dagger. So you only got four attacks with the Rune Fang and then one just normal attack. Now, here's where the upgrade that I told you about earlier comes in. The Rune Fang in 6th edition is no joke. It is really, really, really good. It's 100 points, and all hits wound automatically. No armor saves allowed. The Rune Fangs are basically baby Galmaraz in this edition. So, his strength of 4? Ah, doesn't matter. I just wish you could give him more attacks or a higher weapon skill. Again, this is one of the greatest swordsmen in the Empire, weapon skill 5. Ridiculous. Ridiculous stuff. Now, when we look at his points, so we saw it, he is 280 points. So he got his points doubled between Hero Hammer and 6th edition. But when we start to look at things here, so an Elector count is 80 points. He's a pretty cheap general. And a very cheap lord, all things considered, in 6th edition. But if you are giving him a warhorse, that takes him up to 101 points. If you're giving him a runefang, that takes him up to 201 points. And then you want to give him full plate armor, that's another 12 points on top of that. That's 213 points you're spending on this elector count. And I know that's still a little bit of a cry from the 280 of Marius Leetdorf, but you think he does have that frenzy, probably worth a few points. And at least it's in the ballpark of what you would be paying for an Elector count. He's probably still overpriced by 20 or 30 points, but in 6th edition, especially for a 6th edition Lord that got a White Dwarf release, you know what? Not the worst I've seen, certainly. Now things get a little bit odd. And that is because Marius Leetdorf is nowhere to be seen in 7th edition. As far as I could find, and now maybe I'm missing something here, maybe I'm missing something in White Dwarf, but I searched and I searched and I could not turn up anything in 7th edition, I thought he was in the army book, but shows what I know about those 7th edition army books. He certainly was not. So I'm going to skip ahead to 8th edition here. And this is kind of the ultimate Marius Leetdorf profile here. I like this one more than I like the others. This is also where we're introduced to Daisy Kurt von Hellboring II, who is his warhorse, and what a great name that is. The absolute mad lad you have to be <laughs> to take one of the scariest men in the Empire and name your horse after him, whilst at the same time making fun of him, calling him hellboring, <laughs> is, is just wild. I, I love everything about the lore here. And honestly, that section with Daisy is kind of the new lore that we learn in the 8th edition book. Otherwise, it's all stuff that we've gone over before. Now, Marius uh, finally gets a bump up in weapon skill here. So he's movement 4, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 5, strength 4, tough 4, 3 wounds, initiative 5, 3 attacks, and leadership 9. 
What a consistent profile over like a decade and a half (laughs) between 4th and 8th edition. I'm glad to see that he finally got that bump in weapon skill. This is one of the best swordsmen in the Empire. He should feel like it. Now, what's interesting is if we go look at Kurt, poor Kurt Hellboring, (laughs) the first, he has weapon skill 7. So the designers seem to think that maybe old Kurt is a slightly better swordsman than Marius. Just don't tell Marius that, because he will not like it. Speaking of things that Marius uh, does or does not like, he has a random table. And you know me, I love a good random table. So his special rule, he has the hold the line special rule, which was the Empire general's generic special rule at that point but this is so much cooler he has a rule called the mad count at the start of every friendly turn marius leetdorf must make a leadership test on 3d6 discarding the lowest result he has leadership nine but if you're rolling 3d6 and discarding the lowest you're gonna fail that a surprising amount of times during a five or six turn game i've had the opposite with lizard men And I swear to God, like, I never fail a leadership test with Lizardmen because you're rolling and discarding. And this is just the opposite of this. So I figure that if I ever play with Marius, it's just over. He's going to be crazy the whole game. So here's what can happen. So if if you pass, you can do what you will. He acts as a normal character. But if you fail, oh, if you fail, on a one... You get lunatic ravings. Marius recites poetry, does impressions of the Reichsmarschall, and sings body songs about rotund maidens. For the remainder of the turn, Marius is treated as though he has failed a stupidity test. Ouch. Oh, I should mention that a lot of these aren't good. (laughs) Uh, Two, Berserk Rage. The Mad Count's favorite shirt is ruined, and he enters an unreasoning rage. Marius has the frenzy special rule and cannot lose it until he rolls on this table again. 3. Paranoid Delusions Leetdorf is convinced that both his allies and his own shadow are out to get him. Marius immediately makes one close combat attack against against a randomly chosen friendly model in base contact. If there are none, treat this result as lunatic ravings instead. So that hurts. Uh, He's probably going to kill one of his retinue with that, considering he is weapon skill 6 with a rune fang. 4. Tactical Brilliance! After consulting his warhorse, Daisy, Marius realizes his army needs to be reformed at once. Every friendly unit within 12 inches of Marius may immediately make a reform maneuver. These units can still move, charge, march, and shoot as normal during the turn. That's awesome. That's a really good result. 5. Outrageous Insult! This might be my favorite. The Mad Count mocks his foe's girth, poor dress sense, and foul odor. The closest enemy character to Marius has the hatred Marius Leetdorf special rule for the rest of the game. This does not help you at all. It hinders you, in fact. But it is just so much fun. <laughs> it just insults them until they hate him. Number six is insane bravado. Marius believes himself to be invincible and charges off to smite his foes. Marius is treated as having rolled a berserk rage result. In addition, he has the stubborn special rule and must accept any challenges until he rolls again on this table. 
And for magic items, we have the Averland Runefang. Marius is an expert fencer who wields his Runefang alongside a long dagger. It is a magic weapon to all hits from the Averland Runefang, wound automatically with no armor saves allowed. So we keep that 6th edition super powerful Runefang rules. Like it. Furthermore, the Averland Runefang and Marius's hand weapon count as paired weapons. This is great! So now you're looking at four attacks for Marius with that lovely, lovely Runefang. This is my favorite version of Marius, hands down. I think the chart adds so much more flavor to him on the tabletop that he just didn't have before. Frenzy is fine. It's okay. It's a mixed bag. And he can still get it with the Berserk Rage, but now he's a little bit more unpredictable, which I really enjoy. Marius also got a fresh upgraded model for 8th edition, which didn't really look all that different. It was certainly a, a little bit more dynamic, but otherwise looked a lot like his original 4th ed model. I really like that. I like when models that get updated keep their their looks. They just get a little bit more maybe dynamic and maybe a little bit more detailed. But I, I felt like Marius was appropriately detailed where he is an elector count and he is a snappy dresser, but he is not overwhelmingly or overdone uh, like some models of the era were. I think that is going to about do it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this one. The Mad Count is always so much fun and really did deserve his own episode. We might do a little bit of a theme this month with Madness, March Madness. Maybe we'll look at Conrad von Karstein at some point. He is another one who is a few bats short of a belfry. We'll see where we go with this month. I'm feeling good. I'm going into March break next week, which means I'm going to have a little bit of time, which means I am going to try and do the next episode with GJ, at least, and see if poor Scott can get a moment's peace to come and record with us. But either way, we'll have some fun things coming for you this month. If you are on our Patreon, expect... A bunch of stuff this month because I owe you guys a bunch of stuff and uh, that will be lots of fun as well. Got to do the second part of which which is which and we're going to be looking at the witch elves the unit and looking at how it evolved from third edition all the way to eighth edition. So that's the next thing on the Patreon. All right everybody until next time have a great week. Thanks for listening to The War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show, why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a 5-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The Wargames Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com.